known as uh, by one podcaster introduced me the other day as the living expert on technocracy. And that's all he said. I didn't know how to take it. Uh, it's like, well, at least I'm living. I'm glad for that. <clears throat> but uh, I've been studying globalization, and for 45 years I've been studying uh, technocracy now for going on 15 years. So this is not an incidental topic to me. This is something I've pretty much invested my life into. And by and large, I have to say, it's kind of been a lonely trail. Um, <clears throat> very few people back in the early days, uh, let's say back in the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, we had great crowds, we had great um, reception, but nothing happened, nothing changed. You remember with that? <laughs> yeah, they, they got the message, but nothing really, you know, not, nothing really changed. So I'm hoping that maybe today this will make a difference. <clears throat> I have been um, touring with this modified presentation <clears throat> with uh, a group that contains doctors and a lawyer that are speaking about crimes against humanity around the world. <clears throat> I've been um, blessed to be part of the grand jury for procedure that they held on a global basis. I've testified before the committee several times, and it was very good. <clears throat> I'm glad I could do that. But now, um, it's time for more people to get this message. That is, folks like yourself, and I'm glad that most of you, if not all of you, are believers, and that you're going to a solid church that uh, doesn't put up with a lot of nonsense. <clears throat> so, this is, how are you gonna take this? I really don't know. This is probably new to most of you, I realize. But the title of my topic is hmm, Genetic Takeover of All DNA on Earth, Including Humans. You probably never thought about that one before. <laughs> You'll be thinking about it today. <clears throat> These are some of my books, by the way. They're available on the back table. My latest book, uh, The Evil Twins of Technocracy and Transhumanism, um, is on the back table as well. And Technocracy Rising and the Hard Road, there's also some of those there as well. <clears throat> so if you have a mind to read, um, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. Check it out. Now, just to kind of give you... Uh, an introduction to this. How many of you have seen this Time Magazine cover before? I think maybe somebody displayed it here earlier in one of the messages. <clears throat> this is quite outrageous in a way because um, you see all the different people working on different parts of the world to reconstruct it. And this wasn't a joke, not at all. We're going to talk about transhumanism today in particular. And I want to give you a really good authoritative definition of what transhumanism is. This is from Max Moore. He's the founder of modern transhumanism. Uh, believe it or not, he lives up here in Scottsdale with his wife. And he runs a company up there where you can get your brain freezed if you want to die and have your brain freeze for future, you know, cryonics for future resuscitation. <clears throat> but nevertheless, um, uh, he was a PhD in philosophy and back in the early 90s, this is what he said. Transhumanism promotes an interdisciplinary approach, NBIC, I'll show you that in a second, to understanding and evaluating the opportunities for enhancing the human condition and the human organism opened up by the advancement of technology. Attention is given to both present technologies like genetic engineering and information technologies and anticipated future ones such as molecular nanotechnology and artificial intelligence. Now remember this was written back in the early 90s so they were still anticipating some of this.
So this is what <clears throat> NBIC looks like. Convergent science. Just kind of let this sink in just a little bit. Atoms, nanotechnology, biotech, genes, cognitive science, neurons, that's your brain, of course, and information technologies, bits. In the past 20 years, <clears throat> there has been a massive convergence on college campuses of these four disciplines of science. This was somewhat unexpected. It has nothing to do with um, anything other than the convergence. But before 2000, there was virtually no one that was practicing all of these things together. <clears throat> the reason they came together was because they decided that if it were possible to extend life and achieve immortality, that this would be the way to do it, through science. It sounds a, a little crazy, I agree, it is crazy, but um, these people have had a 20-year running start. Actually, we'll see more than that, probably a 30 or 40-year running start to achieve their goals. So here's another definition of transhumanism. This is from the World Economic Forum itself. The central premise of transhumanism, then, is that biological evolution will eventually be overtaken by advances in genetic, wearable, and implantable technologies that artificially expedite the evolutionary process. <clears throat> is that a little bit oblique to understand? I'll tell you it's in simple terms. We're taking over evolution to design the world and the people in it according to our will, not yours. Now, <clears throat> by and large, this whole transhuman crowd are atheists. Not quite that simple just to call them atheists, but for the sake of this today, I will. They don't believe in God, they don't have any use for God, and they don't believe in intelligent design. However, <clears throat> they do believe now that the, the tools are available, scientific tools are available to manipulate and take over the genome and to engineer life the way they want to engineer life. Not the way God engineered you, but the way they want to manipulate you. So <clears throat> we're going to go back in time a little bit. You've, we've already talked uh, a little bit about the Rio conference way back in 1992. Here's another Time Magazine cover. Time Magazine is going to figure prominently in this, by the way, because Time has been one of those master globalist publications that has led the way pretty much on the party, the party line on all of the things we're talking about here. You see why as we go along. The Earth Summit, is, as it was known, 1992. <clears throat> it was a massive uh, gathering of people, tens of thousands of people in Rio de Janeiro. And they were there to create the doctrine of sustainable development. They were there to create the agenda for the 21st century. A book came out of that, by the way, called Agenda 21 that orange book there. I cannot tell you <clears throat> how many times people have accused me of being a conspiracy theory theorist for mentioning Agenda 21. So it got to the point, I sh should have done it here, but I don't think I have to with you people, but <laughs> it got to the point where I just uh, I bought a copy of it. That, well, I had a copy. You can buy it on Amazon, actually, and I carried it around. It's a big, thick book. It's like, you know, if you got hit with it, you know you got hit with something. And I said, so if this is a conspiracy theory, please come up. I want to smack you in the head with this. <laughs> and just see, you know, how you can, what, do you, what can you say? <clears throat> Pretty much shut them up. Now, the book right below it, the Global Biodiversity Assessment, <clears throat> that is a killer. It was 1,280 pages of glossy paper. It was about that thick. If you got hit with that, you might not get up for a while. 
So here's how <clears throat> Agenda 21 and the Global Biodiversity Assessment got put together at Rio de Janeiro. Leading up to it, there were two people that provided almost all of the doctrine for sustainable development. One was Gru Harlem Brundtland. Uh, <clears throat> she was formerly the Prime Minister of Norway. And she wrote a book um, at the instance of the United Nations called Our Common Future. This also is available on Amazon. And Our Common Future uh, was used almost completely in the formulating of Agenda 21. The United Nations since have called her the mother of sustainable development. <clears throat> but there was another gentleman involved, Jim McNeil. Uh, he wrote a book just a year and a half before the conference took place called Beyond Interdependence. And if you can read the fine print down there, it says the meshing of the world's economy and the Earth's ecology. These two people <clears throat> were closely associated with an organization known as the Trilateral Commission that started back in 1973. Gru Harlan Brundtland was actually a member of the commission, and McNeil actually wrote this book, and it was published on the Trilateral Commission's letterhead, no, not letterhead, imperature. <clears throat> so together, they became known as the founding fathers of Agenda 21. Both of these books are still in print. Both can be uh, acquired on Amazon, and I hate to say their sales are pretty poor. You might expect that, but... Um, so <clears throat> their doctrines went into Agenda 21. And I'm not really going to talk a lot about Agenda 21 in particular, and I'm not going to talk really at all about technocracy here today. That's for another topic for another day. Um, <clears throat> so the conference came and went. Most people rolled their eyes and went ho-hum, they're at it again. I mean, what else can you say about groups like this, you know, the do-gooders of the world, right? And they just let it pass. But two years later, some dissent surfaced. This was critical to me <clears throat> when I found this book written by two principal um, participants in the Rio de Janeiro conference. There were two, one was a professor, one was a journalist. And they wrote a book called The Earth Brokers. The idea of brokers is, you understand what a broker is, a real estate broker or a stock broker, you, you buy and sell stuff, right? <clears throat> they pegged this as the earth brokers, that the earth was being brokered up by these people at Rio, and they never did completely convert to our way of thinking, I have to say, but you know, when somebody like this points out the problems that they saw, that there were eyewitnesses, this is important, to me it is anyway, from a research point of view. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you just a few quotes from their book. And um, one, they said, we argue that UNSAID, that's the United Nations Conference on Economic Development, by the way, UNSAID, has boosted precisely the type of industrial development that is destructive for the environment, the planet, and its inhabitants. We see how, as a result of unsaid, the rich will get richer, the poor poorer, while more and more of the planet is destroyed in the process. What's happened in the years since 1992? Just about this, isn't it? The rich got richer, the poor got poorer, and more and more of the planet has been destroyed in the process. We're not living in an environmental nirvana right now at all. For all the problems we had in 92, they're measurably worse in every category today. So whatever their goals were, altruistic as they were, they, they failed. I don't think it was really intended to do anything other than fail, but that's another story. <clears throat> they went on. They talked about the Biodiversity Convention, which was running in parallel with the Agenda 21 conference. 
That's common with uh, stuff like this, especially with the United Nations, but you see it in universities too. They'll have a big conference and they get 500,000, 2,000 people, and then they'll have different tracks set up for you know, different topics and stuff. And, uh, boy, that was weird. <clears throat> they have different topics. They call them tracks, typically. But it all comes back to the same people in the end, you know, to the same general plenary conference, et cetera. So the Biodiversity Convention, <clears throat> they, they saw fit to, wrote about, to write about it. And I'm glad they did. Because they said the convention implicitly equates the diversity of life, animals, and plants to the diversity of genetic codes. By doing so, diversity becomes something modern science can manipulate. It promotes biotechnology as being essential for the conservation and sustainable use of biodiversity. <clears throat> Page 43. Then they went on to say, the main stake raised by the Biodiversity Convention is the issue of ownership and control over biological diversity. Now again, these were people who may not have understood even what they were talking about here. I don't know. My guess is they just were observers, nothing else. But they went on to say the major concern was protecting the pharmaceutical and emerging biotechnology industries. That's what Agenda 21 and the Biodiversity Convention was all about. They were swarmed by these people <clears throat> to get their intellectual property hooks into the concept of biodiversity. This was an important part of brokering the earth, if you will. The major concern, the main stake, they, they could have said a stake, a stake raised by the Biodiversity Committee. That, would, that might not have been too forceful, but they chose to call it the main stake. That was the primary thing that they were there for. And I expect they saw all these people running around in their three-piece uh, pinstripe suits <clears throat> that were trying to influence the direction of the conference and protect their turf, if you will, and to make sure nobody else got in. So we see then fast forward to Moderna. You all know who Moderna is, I presume, by now. They're the ones that produce the messenger RNA injection <clears throat> that people have taken all over the world, many of whom are wishing they hadn't take it, taken it, but they did. We have the chief medical officer of Moderna, this is about four years ago now. He's not there anymore. But this was on his website page, on Moderna's site. Just ponder this. We are actually hacking the software of life. We think about it as an operating system. So if you could actually change that, if you could introduce a line of code or change a line of code, it turns out it has profound implications for everything. To which I would say, no kidding. <laughs> really? None of you signed up for this, I'm sure. I didn't. But somehow, <clears throat> this group of people, these transhumanists, this transhumanist crowd, got the idea that they not only could do it, but somehow that they had some kind of a moral imperity to do it, and not bother to tell you and I what they're doing. That's 90% of the problem. They haven't come clean. They may never come clean, for all I know, although we're working on it. <clears throat> so, see if we can get this up. The thing they will remember from the COVID crisis is this is the moment when everything went digital. And if, this, is, this was the moment when every, everything became monitored. That we agreed to be surveyed all, all the time, not just in authoritarian machines, 
but even in democracies. And maybe most importantly at all, this was the moment when surveillance started going under the skin. Because really we haven't seen anything yet. I, I think that the big process that's happening right now in the world is uh, hacking human beings, the ability to hack humans, to understand deeply what's happening within you, what, what, makes, you, what, what, what makes you go. And for that, the most important data is not what you read and who you meet and what you buy, it's what's happening inside your body. Okay. Equipment check. Cool. <clears throat> but let's consider for a minute what has actually been modified since 1992? Well, we know seeds have been genetically modified. How, much, how many of you shop in the store looking for GMO-free you know, food? Seeds, right? So we know that pretty much you know, Monsanto and Bayer have taken over the genetic engineering of crop seeds especially. We know that insects have been modified. Companies like Oxitec, a good example, they created a mosquito that has a kill switch in it that when it breeds with the females, the female's offspring can't live. They can't even get out of the water. So they're spreading those insects all over the place right now, down in Florida, down in uh, South America. And then you have animals that have been modified. We're all familiar with that pretty much. Beef and pigs and chickens and turkeys. Um, <clears throat> don't know why I have chickens in there twice. I don't even like chicken. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the chicken lobby is going to tell me this now. Oh, you, you're really. Uh, we know that fish has been modified because it says farm-raised fish. Well, they, they figured out how to take a salmon from the sea, genetically modify it so that it will grow twice as fast on a farm. And they can grow them up. They look pretty much the same, I guess. They can grow them up and slaughter them, and they get, get fish twice as fast under controlled, uh, controlled situation. Trout, catfish, tilapia, striped bass, flounder, and a bunch of other stuff, too. Those have all been genetically modified at this point. Just go to the store and look at the labels. Then you have bacteria and viruses that have been genetically modified. COVID was genetically modified with gain-of-function research. I'm not afraid to say that. They know I'm right. Only because I talk to doctors who know they're right. Scientists. You have bacteria that have been <clears throat> uh, genetically modified. Good example of that are the bacteria that was created to, to mop up oil spills in the ocean. Kind of an interesting application in a way. I wouldn't say I'm against that, but maybe we should have the oil spills in the first place. But um, all of those things have been modified, and that only leaves basically one frontier left. You follow me? One frontier left. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. <laughs> and no one wants to go there still. <clears throat> this sounds like science fiction. It's not. We can't even tongue-in-cheek joke about it being like science fiction because it's so deadly serious. And I'm going to give you a slideshow here <clears throat> of several Time magazine covers, starting, the date is on the left, starting in 1971. And just kind of think, where were you when these covers appeared? I mean, isn't Time Magazine always in the grocery store line? Sort of, I mean, I think. Long next to the, you know, the, you know, the tabloids. Well, in 1971, this cover touted the new genetics. Man into Superman. Never heard a discussion back then I don't know what I was doing in 1971. I clearly wasn't paying attention. How about 1977? <clears throat> the DNA 
Fuhrer, tinkering with life. How about 1984? Shaping life in the lab. The boom in genetic engineering. That guy's an interesting guy, isn't it? That's the guy. It's like uh, an evil scientist or something. How about 1994? It's two years after the Rio Convention. Genetics, the future is now. New breakthroughs that can cure diseases and save lives, but how much should nature be engineered? Anybody see any of these along the way? I know, don't, don't be ashamed if you didn't, didn't raise your hand. I didn't. 1999, special issue. The future of medicine. Hmm. And the little subtitle down there, how genetic engineering will change us in the next century. See, there was no, <clears throat> there was no under the cover whispering about this. They flat out said it but nobody was paying attention. How about 2015? The gene machine. What the CRISPR experiments mean for humanity. This was after, of course, CRISPR technology was invented. That's a snip and clip way to change genetic code. 2015. <clears throat> and then here's another magazine. Scientific American that came out with a cover, uh, Progress and Controversy, Genetic Engineering. And the reason I put this in was point 0.1.2 down in the middle of the white spot. The RNA revolution, just so you could get it. I want to make the connection here <clears throat> that when you talk about the RNA revolution, people argue with me, well, that's not DNA. Bull. They don't know what they're talking about. It isn't DNA truly, but it's an intricate part of the system of how the body functions. So <clears throat> we have, of course, 1.3, an on-off switch for genes. Oh, boy. So the World Economic Forum, the man you love to hate, um, a postmodern condition, they write. The end of humanity's reliance on our congenital bodies by transforming our frail version 1.0 human bodies into their far more durable and capable version 2.0 counterparts. That's a pretty broad statement. One question you're going to ask is, well, how are they going to do that? Do we just like go down through a machine like they have at the airport where you have to stand, you know, your hands up and, and they scan you and stuff? Is that how it's going to happen? No, <clears throat> it's not. But we have a clue from the man himself. So what should you do? Use the millennials and the generation set. What should you do differently? Most immediately, you are calling for the international community to safeguard vaccine equity to respond to COVID-19 and prevent future health crises. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Nobody will be safe if not everybody is vaccinated. Nobody will be safe. <clears throat> now, this is pretty ostentatious, of course, for a man who has no medical credentials whatsoever, who has no clue of what he's talking about, but he's, he's building a party line here based on transhumanism because he knows that the shots are the first step to convert us into humanity 2.0. This is one reason these shots are so dangerous today. <clears throat> Even if somebody has had a shot, that's not the end of the world necessarily, but even if a person has had a shot, there's protocols that might help them overcome some of the effects of the shot, and that would be good to do. 
But the many people who have had totally adverse reactions to the shots is just off the charts. It's incredible. <clears throat> I have a friend at New York University who's an expert on propaganda. He's a tenured professor. He's been collecting videos around the world of people who have died suddenly. I'm really glad that he did that. He didn't have to, but he just was kind of moved. And I see, I see his emails every day come through, and it's like, oh man, I just don't, don't want this anymore. But you see a soccer player running down the field at top speed and just fall over, die. Maybe shake a little bit once he's on the ground. You'll see newscasters that are sitting here just like this, and they fall over, dead. Uh, you'll, see, <clears throat> you'll see babies that have taken these injections that just have a seizure and die. You see um, uh, people who do autopsies after a death has taken place that are revealing this, these weird blood structures that are found in person's veins. It's absolutely morbid, and I don't want to bore you with all that necessarily, but this transhuman angle is so patently evil, you can't believe it. It's evil. I don't know any other way to call it. I heard a sermon <clears throat> years ago by a pastor by the name of Paris Reedhead. Some of you might know who he is. I, I doesn't mean I agree with anything else he ever said, necessarily. <clears throat> but this one sermon was pretty famous. And he was talking about the people in the world that were pitted against God. And he's a pretty fiery preacher, for sure. But his statement was, they are monsters of iniquity. It stuck with me all these years. That's the only way I can describe these people that are trying to reform humanity into their own image. <clears throat> Here's a little tidbit. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. Do you understand what you just said? The question was, was any testing done prior to the vaccine being released, quote unquote vaccine, to test for transmissibility of the disease. What did everybody up and down the world political, you know, people say to us? Of course it stops it. Of course it stops, you know, you get vaccinated, even Klaus Schwab just said it, you get vaccinated, you protect everybody around you. There was never any testing done. Not one shred. This was a vice president of Pfizer, by the way. It wasn't just some you know, dummy who whatever just stumbled, stumbled in there. She was a, a, a high-ranking European official of Pfizer. And she flat out said no testing was done. <clears throat> it was a fraud. The whole COVID pandemic debacle was a fraud. I can't say it any other way. Those who suggested that on an early on basis were vilified, canceled, shamed. Many people lost their jobs. My friend at New York University almost lost his job. He fought him and won. I had a mental picture of a doctor, a DO, 
at the University of Southern California it was a hospital, I think it was UCLA Hospital perhaps, who was escorted out by security. In the middle of his rounds, they grabbed him and escorted him out, took his pass, and said, don't come back, because he was critical of what was going on. They basically canceled his life. This has happened countless times around the world. But in fact, it was all a fraud from the beginning. This is egregious. To anybody in the world, this is egregious. And part of what you're going to be thinking, is, I know, as you go away from here, is how can I explain this to anybody else? I hope my book makes a difference. So Klaus Schwab got a hold of this idea. He's going to create a great narrative. He wrote a book about it. A great narr narrative for a better future. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the details of this, but basically he said, we're reimagining the future for you. We are, we are reimagining the future. They never sent us a survey, did they? <laughs> no. They didn't. And this book is the most, probably the most boring looking book you ever saw. I had to buy a copy of it, unfortunately, read it, put me to sleep three times. <clears throat> but here's a few of the people I just want to say whoever controls the narrative controls everything else. That's a truism. Whoever controls the narrative controls everything downline. Now, this isn't all. I didn't put these pictures up to say this is, you know, this is the, the master control grid. You might recognize some of them. Of course, Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, um, Yuri uh, Yuval, the head of the United Nations, the head of the World Health Organization. There's more in this, this crowd at the top that's pushing this agenda. <clears throat> it would have been bad enough, I suppose, if I just left it there for you. It would seem rather hopeless, I guess. Uh, what can we do? It's so big, how can you fight this? Just incidentally, <clears throat> by the way, I'll just say don't let them put a needle in your arm, period. Don't let them do it under any circumstances from now on. If you already had a shot, don't do it again. September 12, just three months ago, our illustrious president, Joseph Biden, penned an executive order. I'm just giving you the title. Executive Order on Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovation for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. <clears throat> it's on the internet. You can go read it. If you want to take a picture of it, go search for it. You can find it. So here's some of the things that he said. These are direct quotes from this executive order. I think it was too long to bring the whole thing. We need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictably program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers. Now, you know that Biden didn't understand three words of this whole thing. <laughs> Learn to code, dude, right? <laughs> Not hardly. But somebody wrote it for him, obviously, and this is what they wrote. Man, we need to, we need to get after writing circuitry for cells, those, those cells out, those pesky cells out there, your pesky cells. We need to start writing circuitry for your pesky cells because you don't line up the way they want with their agenda. There's another one, bolster and coordinate federal investment and key research and development area, this R&D, of biotechnology and biomanufacturing in order to further societal goals. I never knew he had societal goals, honestly, but they, he, they obviously figure, oh, well, we got societal goals. Building a vibrant domestic biomanufacturing ecosystem. Expanding training and education opportunities for all Americans in biotechnology and biomanufacturing. Federal investments in bio biological services, biotechnology, and biomanufacturing to enhance biosafety, 
and biosecurity best practices throughout the bioeconomy R&D enterprise. Now, what he said here in this, he's laid the groundwork for turning over <clears throat> all of our government resources to these scoundrels to not only give them money for R&D to further their craziness, but to build factories for them where they can make the stuff once they get it engineered, that is, train workers to work in there. And if you read the whole, were to read the whole thing, you just kind of have to wonder, what, what's, what's he smoking? It's absolutely bizarre. Yet, this is the president. It is an executive order. It's on the books. I wish it stopped there. In October of 2022, and uh, part of the order of the executive order was to create reports to bring to the president. This report was issued by the White House. It's called the National Biodefense Strategy and Implementation Plan. It is a giant public-private partnership, for one. It states down in the text, stakeholders with a role in the prevention, preparedness, detection, response, and recovery from bio-incidences, that is, federal and state and local governments and non-governmental and private sector entities and international partners. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> wait just a minute. Stakeholders. Are you comfortable with that word, stakeholder? You see, stakeholders have nothing to do with our country whatsoever. This is a spinoff of Klaus Schwab's stakeholder capitalism, where he says everybody needs to be involved who has a voice. So if a corporation, <clears throat> you know, being a corporation, whatever, uh, you've got non-corporation stakeholders that are on the board that are telling the board what to do. And in this case, you would think that the, maybe the government is gonna take the lead role in this public-private partnership, because after all, every partnership has a managing partner, kind of by definition. You know, if you're a CPA or a lawyer, and you have a partnership with another lawyer or many, then somebody's kind of in charge to write the checks, take care, you know, take care of paperwork and stuff. You would hope, maybe, that our government <clears throat> was going to be in the lead role of implementing this crazy transhuman technology on the world, especially on us. Not so. They're turning it over to the same foxes that brought it to us in the first place, like the guy at Moderna that said, we're hacking the software of life. They're handing over the operation of this entire thing to the non-governmental private sector entities and international partners like the World Health Organization. It can't end well. Insanity. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> it allocates federal funds for research and development build factories, train workers, permanent exception from testing. Think about that for a minute. If anybody was upset that the testing was not done on the COVID vaccine, quote unquote, that they just skipped that part. Now they have basically gotten a permanent exemption from testing. So the FDA is not there at all anymore for us on this, at least on this stuff. <clears throat> They're, um, they're promising, or at least their goal is, lab to jab in 130 days. So from the time that some pandemic is discovered until the time they'll be rolling out the shots all around the neighborhoods, it's 130 days. Just about like before. You say, wow, that's aggressive. Increased vaccine uptake. Now listen to this. 
This is actual text, isn't it? Increase vaccine uptake for all recommended vaccines. <laughs> all recommended vaccines. Not just a few, but all. Huh. To over 85% of the American population. Just think about the implications of this. They're busy creating Humanity 2.0. They're actually busy, as we might surmise, they're, they're more busy in destroying the world than you know, anything good. But these madmen, these madmen have got control over this entire biomedical complex. And they have free carte blanche with governments around the world to do what they're doing. Somehow they've sold themselves as being the savior of mankind. And if everybody just listens to them, you'll all be okay. Unbelievable. So let me explain to you the Great Reset, <clears throat> just in very simple terms. It didn't talk about technocracy. But technocracy is to societal structure and operation as transhumanism is to the humans who live there. That's their concept. They're going to create a fourth industrial revolution to restructure the planet. But they also believe that they must restructure the people who are going to live in that planet. <clears throat> you can see, I think you probably can see, a vice grip coming for the church. Because many people are not going to submit. And they will be odd man out, I'm afraid. But it's a good opportunity for you to decide now where you are going to stand when the time comes to make a choice. I can't tell you what to do. I know what I'm going to do. <clears throat> but they've brought this monster of iniquity upon us without our knowledge, without our permission, uh, certainly without our blessing. And they're just doing it because they think they're right. <clears throat> The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. And offers certain kinds of possibilities that have to be careful about. You know, yeah. when you began to... When you began to do that kind of gene editing, some people worry that you are changing what it means to be human. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> At least Charlie Rose asked the answer, or a question, rather. Yikes. I want to suggest to you, <clears throat> we've got the great reset, we've got the great narrative, we've got all the great stuff, you know. I want to suggest the great ending. I hope it doesn't get me in trouble. But I figure, whatever. <laughs> Revelation eleven eighteen. <clears throat> the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. That's directly from Psalm 2, by the way. The time has come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and for your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great. Now, that's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> if you study the book of Revelation, this is, this is one of those passages where, if you read up above a little bit, great promises to the people of God. Great promises. But then there's just a little extra phrase at the end of this. And for destroying those who destroy the earth. Isn't that weird? Maybe you never noticed that before. It's kind of hanging on like a dangling participle or something to a verse. It doesn't really fit the verse, per se. <clears throat> but when you think about it, I've been thinking about it. 
there's a special judgment awaiting those who are currently in process of destroying the earth. And I don't mean to bring judgment on anybody, <clears throat> but that ought to be a warning. And it ought to be a blessing to us that one day they will pay for what they have done. And didn't God say that? He said, don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. He means it. He really does. So here we are, right? I want to give you just a one-minute pitch on citizens for free speech. <clears throat> it has nothing to do with transhumanism. Most of you are probably aware that free speech has been under tremendous attack in the last several years. When COVID hit, <clears throat> I believe it was a technocratic coup to take over the planet. But when COVID hit, churches were shut down. That's point one in the First Amendment. Free speech, you couldn't assemble. That's, you couldn't assemble and you couldn't speak. Um, <clears throat> you couldn't talk to the government because all the offices were closed. I tried a couple times, can't, you know, busy signal. No, not there. <clears throat> the First Amendment, well, we've seen censorship, of course, too, just outright cancel culture, censoring people's speech. The concept of free speech <clears throat> is not given any authority by the First Amendment, First Amendment or the Constitution. And I just want to stress this. This, this is... This is important, especially for Christians to understand. If you think we have or exercise free speech, freedom of uh, you know, religion, freedom of, uh, <clears throat> to assemble, etc., if you think that these rights are given by government, you would be wrong. The founders of our country said these were rights given by God. They believed that. I can't apologize for that. They believed that. It's clear in the writings. These are unamiable rights, they call them. <clears throat> the reason the First Amendment says, starts out with Congress shall make no law, is specifically to instruct the government, keep your hands off of these areas, period. These aren't yours. They're not yours to manipulate and whatever. <clears throat> and I've since found that uh, other countries that don't have a constitution like ours and don't have a First Amendment like ours, <clears throat> do you realize how much they value free speech? Take China, the riots going on in China. <clears throat> Take Iran, the riots going on in Iran right now. They're clamoring for a voice. You see <clears throat> demonstrations in Europe with hundreds of thousands of people coming to the street. They're seeking a voice because nobody will listen to them. The concept of free speech is really a universal, unalienable right. <clears throat> we can respect the people in other countries to that extent. This is in the heart of man, to want to be able to speak freely. Now, that doesn't mean you agree with everybody at all. You don't have to. I'm not saying that. But your ability to bring up an idea and have it debated and discussed, et cetera, this is what made our country our country. It worked here. <clears throat> it worked here. It didn't work in so many other countries because they didn't write it in any way. They didn't value it. They didn't lift it up. So there's a lot of despotic authoritarian countries in the world. But we have a big problem in America. <clears throat> right now, because the same people that are bringing the needle of transhumanism to your arm and my arm, they're trying to crush the First Amendment, too, and all of those unalienable rights. And it's everywhere. <clears throat> this is going to get ugly one day, I'm afraid. I hope it doesn't, but it's gonna, it could get ugly. Because I've heard people say, from Europe especially, 
that you know what happens when free speech is gone? Of course, they have a historical context for this, right? They had Russia, they had Germany, and <clears throat> they had the Holodomer in Ukraine. Those are horrible periods. They said, well, you know what happens when free speech is, is quashed? No, what? That's when the killing begins. <laughs> they just blunt about it. That's when the killing begins, when they, when they can take over the, the media and all of people's ability to cry out for help and, and to communicate and stuff. That is exactly when the killing begins. And I thought about it a lot, <clears throat> and I think he's right. We don't live in Europe. But I expect that, um, that observation is right. So we're fighting for free speech in America. <clears throat> I created this nonprofit organization back in 2018. It's just before COVID. Had no idea what was going to happen from there, but <clears throat> we got through COVID. People understood that COVID was a free speech issue. I'll get to that in just a minute. <clears throat> so we went from about 5,000 members to currently over 60,000 members today nationwide. People are sensitive to this. They realize how important it is. <clears throat> so I expect that in the end of it, for those Americans who want to put up a defense around their community, around their lives, their neighborhoods, et cetera, <clears throat> they're going to have to engage in some exercise of all of these unenable rights, whether it be assembling, speaking, writing, or perhaps even seeking redress of a government agency. <clears throat> these things are critical to our survival. So I realize a lot of people can't go that far, and that's okay. But um, we brought some of our newspapers back here, the Free Speech Statesman. You're welcome to take one. I hope you do. <clears throat> and read it, 16-page color. Read it, check it out. And if you want to join with us, it doesn't cost anything to join. We're our member-supported um, organization, but we don't demand a fee up front, right? <clears throat> so, check that out, and that's part of our defense at this point um, against all the things that I've been talking about so far. It is part of our defense. If nothing else, <clears throat> it ought to give you a confidence that when you speak out against the official narrative, that you have the moral high ground that you have, you're on the right side of history here. It makes a huge difference in your willingness to speak up at all, right? But we really do have the moral high ground here. We need to ex exercise it, not in a mean way, not in a you know, cruel way or anything, but <clears throat> at least as Christians, we certainly need to be able to figure out how to talk forcefully, pointedly and forcefully, to convince people that they need to take a change in attitude and a change in mind and run from these monsters of iniquity. Because they're after everybody. Wouldn't it be nice if they're only after just one part of society? How about the seniors? <clears throat> Speak to myself. How about the babies, children? How about the teenagers? They've got them all. They got every, everybody's getting the shot. Everybody's getting the shot. <clears throat> down to six months of age in some cases. They're getting the shot. There was a lady, well, actually parents, in New Zealand um, whose baby needed to have surgery. And they expected the baby was going to have to have a transfusion, a little blood, they call it a top-off. <clears throat> they said, well, that's okay, but we don't want vaccinated blood. Not an unreasonable request is that we want blood from somebody who has not been vaccinated for our baby. Next thing that happened, court stepped in, 
um, grabbed the baby, basically kicked the parents out, says, you don't know what you're doing, and now they have custody of the child. <clears throat> you might imagine where this is going to go. This is mean-spirited. Mean-spirited stuff. And when push comes to shove, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Amen? I know. I don't know what you're saying. I think I'm done. Thank <laughs> you.